can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. All right, that may become our new theme song. It's a sample of someone else's song, but uh, we love the message, we love the lyric here in the Big Black River studios, and the Big Black River is up and out of the banks and into the woods, and all the rabbits and deers have hit the highlands. And we've been hunting them, and my neighbor Greg has been slaying them, and I cannot seem to get E onto a deer. Not for lack of trying. We've tried down in Claiborne County. We've tried out back of Greg's house. And they're just not cooperating with us yet, but we've got a month to go, and we're going to get the E man a deer. He's 11 years old. He could hardly sit still and stay in a stand last year. This year he's doing a lot better. He's trying really hard. He shot one. Oh, it was in. Are you either? I guess it was in. It was before Christmas, a few weeks before Christmas, or maybe even Thanksgiving. And we had a deer right out in front of us at a stand down in Port Gibson, and he shot it in the front legs. And I think the bullet. It was a small caliber bullet, a two twenty three, which doesn't kick very hard, and it's not a very big bullet. And it either lodged in the leg or broke its shoulders, but it didn't hit any vitals, and the deer got away. We found a little bit of blood, very little, came back the next day. But that's part of hunting. You don't always uh, come out of the woods with what you shot in the woods. And it doesn't go to waste. Um, this episode of Too True to Lie with Harry Day is going to be about animals that did not go down easy. It was a request from my friend Dredd. Um, he knows the story of the black squirrel with me and Brian Seal and a few others that I will get to. I've got a list of six or seven top, not topics, but uh, items to get to in this episode. And so we'll give it a try. Um, I'll start off with the, with the with the first again this is not going to be a PETA friendly show or episode. This is about shooting animals for meat, but it just doesn't always go the way you want it to go. Sometimes you miss, sometimes the deer is smarter than you, sometimes you take too long a shot and make a bad shot. Sometimes your scope is off. This incident was several years ago here behind Greg's in the stand that we called the meat grinder. It overlooked the corner of a lake where the deer came out of the swamp along a push-up levee and would round the corner of this lake and either come into the woods at Greg's or go into the neighbor's woods. But before it made that choice to go right or left, it was in the shooting lane and in the window to take it out we call it the meat grinder because we popped a lot of deer there in that little corner 
and brought in the meat. And we, uh, you know, here here in the Greg Harkins compound of uh, the Day House and the O'Neill House and the Harkins House, we process our own meat. We make our own burger. We make our own sausage. We uh, make our own deer steaks. And uh, you know what you're getting when you process your own deer. You take it to some processor. You don't know if you're even getting your deer or some of your deer that you took to them because the the big the big uh, places I'm not gonna mention the names the big the big places that do a lot of processing just you know say six deer come in one day well they're not gonna do one deer at a time they're gonna clean all the deer cut up all the deer and then grind all the burger they need to make and all the sausage they need to make and then package it and tell you it's ready and overcharge the mess out of you and you probably don't get the amount of meat you brought in when you do it yourself in your home with your own grinder you get your product from your deer and you know it's organic and you know it wasn't a sick deer or it wasn't picked up off the highway or any of that you know your meat so guys and girls know your meat no innuendo there know your meat so I'm in the meat grinder and it's, it's getting late and of course the deer start moving you know 30 minutes before dark 15 minutes before dark right at dark 15 minutes after dark and then they're really on the move well it's about dark and you can see down the push-up levee through the trees at an angle the deer coming and then they get in the open spot where you can pop them well just before there was, there was three of them coming three does a big doe and two uh, smaller doe not juveniles but smaller and they didn't come out into the shooting window that we normally pop them in they cut towards me short of there and were coming out not quite under me, but nearly under me, coming towards me. I'm hopping a stand, but they're behind a lot of brush, leafless brush and vines. And so the, the big does, you know, it's about 20 yards right there. And I have my 30 out six with a really good scope on it. That's not the best caliber to shoot through brush because the bullet will move when it hits a stick or twig or vine. A 30-30 is what you want to use when you're hunting in, in the thick or buckshot. But I had my 30 out 6 because I was going to shoot down the clean lane. Well, the deer doesn't go where you think they're going to go, ever. So I try to shoot this doe in the head. It's about 20 yards. Or in the neck, the upper neck. And I shoot and miss. And so I, I bolt another shell in there. And I shoot and miss. And I'm like, my scope must be off. So I bolt another one in there and I, and I bring it down to the thicker part of the neck and I shoot and I hit the deer and it goes down. It's dark now. And it pushes itself up into a log and brush and starts doing the death thrash. Meanwhile, the, a smaller doe comes and runs right up next to me on the left down low. And I have one bullet left and I pop it in the neck and it's dead. Boom, down, dead. I'm out of bullets. So I immediately climbed down. I'm not worried about chasing anything off. They're down. You know, the, the, the big doe was gurgling. So I figured it was, in, it was, it was dying very soon. 
And so I get down and lean my gun against the tree and I walk down below the stand to the nearest small deer and drag it up to the trail up on the up on the at the top of the rise from the floodplain that's underwater now then it wasn't and so then I go with my flashlight and I walk down around the thicket to where the doe had pushed itself up into the thicket against this log and I shine my flashlight down where I heard it and saw it go and it's not there where is that big doe and I'm looking around I'm looking around and I and I raise up with my flashlight and it's standing up and it's looking at me and it is in shock because I have blown off its lower jaw I didn't do this on purpose people it's just what happened its tongue was hanging down to halfway down her chest her breastplate whatever steam coming out it wasn't bleeding very much really and she just looked bad so I need to take her out fast well I'm out of bullets and I don't have a gun and so what I had done a long time ago before with a deer that was shot and that was slowly dying but had lost its strength is you take your knife and you slit their throat and they bleed out pretty fast so that's my plan except it's standing and so I kinda ease up it's a big doe and you don't want to get kicked by a big doe kicks you in the face you're gonna have a broken something kicks you in the throat you're gonna be fighting for breath kicks you in the balls it's just gonna hurt really bad stay in the stomach and the chest won't be so bad so I pull my knife out and it's not a long knife it's a lock blade so I open the blade the blades about four inches long and I'm holding the grip and I'm holding it in my fist with the blade pointed down and I kick the deer in the ass thinking it'll knock it over it looks weak and the deer steadies I'm like man this deer's still strong hmm what am I gonna do and so I'm just standing there trying to figure out what in the hell I'm gonna do thinking well hopefully it'll just die but it's just standing there and so when it looks away from me I jump forward and stab it behind the front leg where the heart is and where the bottom of the lungs reach down and pull the blade back out and jump back and it turns and looks at me you know, this thing wasn't writhing in pain or screaming or acting crazy. It was just standing there in shock. It turns and looks at me and turns away and starts walking off into the swamp. The swamp is bottomland back there. It floods. It's flooded now because the river's out. When the river's not out, it's just dry ground, oak tree forest. There's water slews here and there and it takes off through the first one which is about a foot deep and uh, I'm not wearing tall tall water boots but I'm I've got to get this deer you don't you don't just give up a deer so I follow it through the water with my flashlight and my knife and it stays about 30 yards in front of me and uh, you know the blood trail is not much to follow but I can see the deer and I can hear the deer so I'm following it well it's full dark and so I look off to the west and I know that the moon is setting within 30 minutes and that Venus is just above it like a bright star but all white and it'll set behind it in about 35-40 minutes and so I start following this jawless deer deeper into the woods towards the river and I lose it and find it and lose it and find it and it just keeps going and eventually it goes through a really deep 
slough into an area that rarely gets hunted. And so I'm, and I'm looking and the moon's gone and I know that's west and I know to the west there's a trail. There's nothing to my right. To my left is west. There's nothing ahead but more thicket. And directly behind me the way I came is back to the ridge and the, and the other trails. And so if I know where the, if I know west, I know how to get back out. Well, I barely see Venus about to go down through the trees. So I'm like, I'll just come back tomorrow and I'll find this deer laid up dead. I came back the next day with waders, waded through that deep uh, slough into that other side. No blood, no deer, gone. I hated it. I hate losing deer. I haven't lost a lot of deer. I've lost a couple. And you never want to lose a deer. You never like losing a deer. Um, nature takes it. The uh, coyotes eat it. All the smaller animals, the bugs, the worms, the you know the maggots, the flies. I mean, it gets consumed by the land and by Mother Nature and its beings. But that was just. You know, it didn't affect me. It didn't shock me. I didn't have nightmares, you know. I watched my kids, when they were born, be pulled from the C-section. So, you know, you see things. I, I hadn't seen, I, I'm not sitting there saying I've seen everything. But I've seen a deer with no lower jaw get away from me and disappear. The black squirrel story. What time are we looking at here, fellas and fillets? took me 15 minutes to tell that story. I'm not going to get to all these topics. The black squirrel, <laughs> we were at a duck hunt, and someone sent me the story and asked to hear the entire story because all they had was a screenshot of, where is it? Right here. Someone had a screenshot of the first half of the story. And it won't give it to me. There it is. I don't have glasses. Awesome. Um, we were at the Delta at Brian Seal's place at the lake house. And we had been duck hunting. We were duck hunting that weekend. And we had come in from a duck hunt. We were all hanging out. It was a little bit warm that morning. Because the sun was out. It wasn't hot. It was just, you know, 70 degrees. Maybe 65 degrees. It's probably 65 degrees. No hotter. And we were sitting there and we were talking about the black squirrel that Brian used to always see over in the cane thicket on the uh, south side of the yard. And as we're talking about it, a black squirrel climbs up into the uh, locust tree and is sitting there shaking its tail. And uh, our friend Dan Lyles says, somebody shoot it. And we all look at each other, there are four of us, and no one had a gun. And so I knew mine was just inside the door my shotgun so I, I lean inside the, the front door grab my shotgun and on the table there I grab one number two steel uh, shotgun shell and put it in my gun and uh, shuck it into the chamber and I walk out take about five steps and I aim and I pop that squirrel and it was it was a full-on dead hit and it goes straight to the ground and they're like, yeah, you know, they're all, you know, how us rednecks are. Well, the squirrel is barking and comes halfway up the tree and it's sitting there flickering its tail barking. But I know it's hit. 
and so Dan and and Mark, someone else was with us, and it wasn't Mark Brown. I want to say it was Chris Stanley. Dan and Chris go racing to the squirrel that's still alive in the tree. And I'm like, stop, guys, stop. If you'll just sit here and watch, it will fall to the ground dead. You're going to chase it off. They don't listen. They run to the thicket, and they ch- and they, they go all through it, and they can't find it. And so me and Brian go in there looking, and we can't find it. What we do find at the base of that locust tree are three holes in the ground, three burrows. Usually these burrows are made by rabbits. Um... But other animals use them for protection when when it's not raining and the grain and the ground is saturated because then they fill with water and everything's got to go up above ground. Well, we I knew the squirrel went in one of those, and so when that when that squirrel was halfway back up the tree chattering, Dan had said, "Shoot it again! Shoot it again!" before they ran and chased it off. I was like, "Why? I just I grabbed one shell. I don't have another shell." And they were like. Who gets one shell? And so they run after it and run underground. And so uh, we're done. I don't know. I don't think we duck hunted that afternoon. I think we just hung out and cooked. And uh, they drank beer. And uh, we hung out. And they, they, they kept... Brian wasn't, but Dan and Chris, they like to talk and they like to mess with people that they know. And it's a friendly thing, but they were digging into me about, oh, one shell, Harry, he'll wound him for you. And I take it on stride. That's fine. I don't care. Well, the next morning in the duck blind, they kept it up. They kept coming into me about, you should just use one shell and wound the ducks. Oh, one shell, Harry, and whatever. And so I've got it in my mind. When we go in, I'm digging those burrows out, and I'm getting that squirrel because I know it's in there dead. Because I, I, I full on shot it with who knows how many steel BBs. And you have to use steel shot when you duck hunt because they outlawed using lead duck hunting because you're hunting over water, and all the lead pellets that don't go into the duck that you're shooting at go into the water, and supposedly the ducks eat it when they're feeding. And um, I'm not a believer in that, and I'm certainly not a believer in steel shot, because what I think steel shot does is, more often than not, it wounds the duck you're shooting at enough for it to still fly off far away and then die. And you're not going to want to walk during a good duck hunt, because they only fly for so long. You're not going to walk 500 yards to go pick up a duck when the ducks are, are still flying. And then if you do and you go back, you're never going to find it. It is so rare to find it. And so we get in and I go get Brian's shovel. And me and Brian go out there. We each had a shovel. And we start digging out the burrows one at a time. And the two guys that gave me the most hell, Dan and Chris, just stand there and laugh at us like we're never going to find it. And these are the same guys that chased after the squirrel talking about how they were going to have it mounted and on the wall. And I'm the one that shot it. And they're the one that chased it underground. And they were all about it. But now they're all about giving us hell. So we dig out burrow number one, no squirrel. We dig out burrow number two, no squirrel. We're digging out burrow number three. And I think by now Brian's about had it because it's starting to get warm. And uh, in my third dig of, of 
pulling away the the upper uh, dome of this burrow, a black tail flops out. And Brian looks at me and I look at him and we're like, there it is. And all of a sudden, Chris and Dan are excited again. The squirrel, yeah, but they don't get the squirrel. It's my effing squirrel. And so I take the squirrel and I put it in a bag and I freeze it. And then I take it to a taxidermist in Clinton, Mississippi, over there off Cynthia Road. He does great work. Can't think of his name or his place, but it's off Cynthia Road in Clinton. If they're still open. They do awesome work. They have such cool stuff in their place. And he mounted this black jet black squirrel on a little uh, log where it looks like it's climbing down the tree and it's hanging in my living room next to the fireplace. And it's it's uh you know, it's not so rare as to I shouldn't have shot it. Because I saw a black squirrel in the woods last weekend, and uh, I see in pictures from the Delta National Forest from Charles Perry and Perry Farms, where he he puts up photos of all the big deer that are shot in the area, or the catfish caught, or the turkeys, you know, shot, or the ducks shot, because it's, it's, it's a hunting mecca in the Southern Delta. And... There were a few photos of like a, a truck tailgate with about 15, 20 squirrels on it. And not quite half of them were gray and not quite half of them were red squirrels, which are brilliant, by the way. But I would say about one-sixth of the squirrels were black. So there's lots of black squirrels. There's one down on the lake that lives down there. So don't feel bad about the only black squirrel in the Delta I shot. Or I didn't eat it either because I had it done. But uh, yeah, that's the black squirrel story. 22 minutes. Let's look over here. The goose eyes story is an interesting story. We get the uh, the conservation geese, as they call them, that come down from up north. And they land in all the uh, farmer's fields. And if they're planting winter wheat, the geese all come in. And if the fields are wet and the geese these white geese and blue blue geese and ross geese and brants and uh what's the other one that's good to eat i can't think of the name of it but we we've shot a few of each of them every year and uh you breast them out and brine them and marinate them and grill them and it's pretty good i've made goose jerky too before i haven't made goose sausage i've made rabbit sausage before anyway these uh, geese land in the fields, and uh, there's thousands and thousands of them. You hear them at first light, and they start flying around, and they all come in. You have goose tornadoes coming in and landing in a spot, and then they get up and go fly to another spot. And that's when Brian and I go and lay out in the field, lay down in a ditch on our backs. And when they fly from one spot to another, we get in between, and we try to shoot them out of the sky with shotguns. However, sometimes we'll go out there with rifles, like high-capacity rifles, and we'll pump lots of bullets through them and knock as many down as we can. And we're, we're never real successful with that, but we do get several. Well, one afternoon, I'm going deer hunting out of the duck hole, and I've got my, my dad's 30-30, the trusty 30-30 killer. I have a name for it, maybe, but I, it, it's, I just, it's the killer. I've shot a lot of deer. I've missed a lot of deer with that gun, but I've also shot a lot of deer with that gun.
it is a trusty rifle so I'm on my four-wheeler and I go over highway one and drop down into the uh, field road to go out the straightway to the duck hole and as soon as I drop down I realize right in front of me are all these geese about 80 yards out you know maybe 500 geese and so I'll pull my, I know I have extra 30 30 shells in my pocket so I'll pull up my gun and they're starting to fly away from me and I probably fire off three four shots and they all fly away and they're gone except for this one goose that's just standing there about 80 yards out and so I, I put my rifle back in my lap because you don't put a scoped rifle in a, in a gun rack because if you hit big bumps you could knock your uh, sights off so I put it in my lap and I start driving towards it and it's just standing there you know it's almost like it's standing there looking away from me faced away from me and as I get closer it's just standing there and so I get up a little speed and I get closer and it's just standing there looking the other way so I decide well I'm gonna run it over not with the tires but with the middle you know with the with the brush guard that protects the winch and the underside on the front it's a metal plate I'm gonna smack it with that and knock it out because it wasn't dead and I didn't know what was going on with it why it wouldn't fly I was thinking maybe it's winged just before I run it over it turns and looks at me like it sensed I was there or heard me or something and it, instead of two eyeballs it had two brilliant red uh, discs or orbs for eyes I had miraculously unintentionally shot it through the eyes with a 30-30 bullet in one and out the other and that was it so I run over it thump and it goes down and the, the story continues to get even more horrifying with horror of killing wild game so I back up and it's just flopping around on the ground and it stands up and it's all woozy like it's drunk and so I back up and I grab it by its neck and I start to swing it like you do with doves or ducks to kill them. You know, you break their necks. Except it's a goose neck. It's like swinging a, uh, uh, a pool floaty, one of those long pool floaty sticks made of foam. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get anything done swinging it except swinging it around. So I'm swinging it around, and I'm not breaking the neck, and it's fighting me and beating its wings, and it's starting to get ridiculous. And so I decide I'm just going to choke it, and so I put two hands on it, and I've, I'm squeezing its neck as hard as I can, and it's just flapping and going to town, and, and <laughs> it's not going to die that way. And I'm like, man, what do I do? And so I hold it with one hand, it's fighting me, and I pull out my knife, unlock it, lock blade, and I cut its throat and neck down at the base of the neck where it hits the body and it dies and so I throw it in the back of my four-wheeler basket and I go deer hunting didn't shoot a deer that's the bloody-eyed goose story let me see how much time I got here I probably got time for one more I want to do two more though one, one's really simple it was it was my my first uh, bizarre kill and it was just when I was a kid and I had a pellet gun and we shot birds growing up where I grew up in Natchez Trace Village uh, you know everybody had a BB gun or a pellet gun and you shot you hunted birds you shot birds except my dad would say you can shoot birds but don't shoot the blue jays 
And then my mom would say, you can shoot the birds, but don't shoot the blackbirds. Well, that's mostly what we had, unless it was springtime, and then you had robins. The little bitty birds just were, you know, they, they moved too fast. They were too small. We always had blackbirds and blue jays. That's what we shot. And for some reason, because the mockingbird is the state bird of Mississippi, we never shot mockingbirds. Well, I was in the backyard down by the scaly bark hickory tree, which is no longer there at that house. And a mockingbird flew up above me. And my mom wasn't home. My dad was at work. I was probably a preteen. And I shot the mockingbird. And it fell out of the tree right, right on the ground, right next to the lake. And I hear a car coming. I look up at the street. And it's about 100 yards up to the street. And there's my mom coming home. And I look down, and here's this mockingbird squawking and flopping around and running around in circles and stuff, wounded from a pellet gun. Bad shot, I guess. And I freak out. Oh, my God, I've shot a mockingbird. My mom is going to kill me. And so what do I do? The first thing that comes to my mind is I take the butt of my gun, and I smash the bird, and then I throw it in the lake, not knowing that catfish and bass eat bird's hole. I found that out on a dove hunt about four years ago when I was shooting some dove and a few of them were dropping in these catfish ponds up in Sunflower County and I was waiting for the wind to blow them to the edge but they'd never make it because the catfish would come up and swallow them whole. Feathers and all. True story. Too true. I ain't lying. Um, how about a gross story to finish out? I'm not going to do the dough in the water that bleated and was all crazy and trying to swim back out, so I had to shoot it three times. And that, I'm not going to do the ducks that Brian has shot and I have shot that have uh, flown into trees, like solid trunk trees, after we shot them and made a huge thunking, neck-breaking sound. He found his. I did not find mine. Mine hit the water and went under and what ducks will do is they'll swim to the bottom if they're wounded and 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 trying to go to survival mode and this makes no sense but they'll go and swim under debris underwater and lodge themselves underwater where you can't find them and I lost the mallard like that and I've lost another duck before like that so I guess I'm going to talk about that but I'm done talking about that I want to talk about the one horn spurter it was the last day of deer season about four years ago, into January. We had a strong north wind. I was in corner stand over at Brian's place. And I had a bottle of doe pee. And I would open it up every 10 minutes and drip a little out on the ground and then just leave the top open and let the wind carry the smell off into the neighbor's property. When I'm sitting there, Brian's in line stand about 60 yards from me, but we can't see each other. I'm in the corner stand, which is the corner of the property that Brian and his wife own, to the very back. And so, I see off to my left, through the woods and the neighbor's property, several deer come from the field behind into the woods to my left, and then they turn and start coming towards me. And so I've got time to, to get my rifle up bring my knee up a little bit and brace it and uh, the first deer that comes into view that I can get an aim on and get a beat on and then shoot when I'm ready is a really nice buck except it's only got one horn it's an Elliot if you're familiar with the the movie open season Elliot had one horn 
This had, if this would have had both its horns, it would have been a really nice buck. But see, come late January and then through February, March, bucks drop their horns. They just break off. And then they regrow them the next summer. And they velvet out and they rub the velvet off and then they rub them on trees and then they have beautiful antlers. Every year, a deer's horns get bigger and better. Usually, unless the genetics are bad. And that's would, that would be a cold deer. And I shot a cold deer earlier this year that just had awful pencil spikes, but it was a good tasting deer. Anyway, Elliot comes sniffing up, and I can tell he's sniffing after me, or after the doe pee. And it's you know probably jumping into the second rut when when the when the does that didn't get bred during the first rut go back into heat, and the bucks are looking for him, and they've been looking for him for a month. And uh, it comes walking up and it gets, you know, it's not 15 yards from me. I got the trusty 30-30 and I shoot it through the neck. And its front end goes down and it pushes itself through the fence. It's a barbed wire fence that's not all, it's not pristine, it's very old. And there's a lot of growth and it pushes itself through all that. And out into the field in front of me in the corner. And, uh stands up and it's standing there and uh, I'm looking at it through my scope thinking I'm going to have to shoot this deer again because it's going to get away and so I'm aiming at the neck again I'm going to shoot it just beneath the ears but I see something move from the front of its neck and I, and, I, and I aim down my scope and I'm looking and it is pumping blood out of its neck like a uh like a bilge pump it's just and then it goes back down and then slow and then expires well i get a text during its when after it lay down i get a text <laughs> i'd already shot i get a text from brian 60 yards away in the stand where i can't see him and he says hey man a deer just laid down right in front of you he this this is brian's sarcasm because uh i shot it and he knows he heard the shot and everything and the deer, uh, with its one horn, knocked off. The deer that was following it was a spike, ran off into the woods. And we made that deer into meat, burger, steaks, and sausage, as we do with all our deer. And I give all the capes to Greg, and he puts the capes, which is their skin, that I can get off of them without making holes. I can get in one big rectangular piece. I give them to Greg, and he puts them into chair bottoms and makes a... Uh, buckskin or deerskin bottom chairs that are really cool tail still intact sometimes even the anus ring is still intact and that's what we're going to end it on is the word anus ring so stay positive and the love will come back to you this is harry day with two true to lie let me see if i can get this song back up there's no way i'm going to get it back up that fast i don't have a back button oh if i only had a back button um it's been playing songs for the whole 30 minutes. It was before Romeo. Um, but yeah, you know us. Harry Day, Too True to Lie. Peace! Love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love.